If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hello, everybody. I'm Tom Vassell. Hey, everybody. It's me, Rotto. <laughs> and we're back. Another week of April. Man, it is... I'm forgetting the date sometimes. Uh, I, I What I'm doing at home is we're trying to establish something to do each day that differentiates that day from another day. Okay. So, like, we have Sunday, Saturdays, which in retrospect would have probably been better to do them on Sundays. Um, but... I, I want to eat ice cream, and I didn't want to wait till the next day. Well, the important thing is, what's a Tuesday bring in the Vassal household? I haven't determined that yet. One of these days is going to be the um, where we play uh, Jackbox, you know, those vi- games you can play with your phones, and everyone's looking at TV, and you do, like, party games. We're figuring it out. <laughs> it's something, something different. Well, folks, we're okay. here to, to talk about all sorts of things these days. It's um, definitely... And I just – I cannot believe that I keep managing to hide this. We're talking about games and we're glad you guys are here. And I'm a little bit off my game because once again, technical problems have reared their ugly head. But we're getting around. Yeah, we only barely made it this morning, folks. Tom has been uh, working overtime to try to get this up and running. Trivia fact. Did you know the Dice Tower has two internet feeds into Dice Tower Central? A main one and a backup in case the main one fails? That's crazy to me. The thing about the backup one, though, is you cannot use it. You cannot use it for um, streaming. It's too slow Mm -hmm. for that. But it is when we're on the internet. And it's also, we also have it so that if someone is surfing the internet and doing work and someone else is streaming, you are not using the same, the same line. Sharp. I guess it has come in handy though a few times. I've said some very unkind things about Comcast in the past, but AT and T has been there for me. It's it, okay. I don't want to get into this. Um, I'm safe. To, <laughs> trying this to be positive. Brought to you by AT and T. No, no. AT and T is only good when compared to Comcast. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty, folks. Well, we're glad you all are here, and we're going to get started with what we always do at the beginning, where we take a look at um, a, a mechanism on Board Game Geek, and we're going in alphabetical order. So today we're taking a look here at Action Timer. Yes. So Action Timer is not in a ton of games, to the point where I wondered if I could have guessed every game in it. <laughs> But basically, players place own timers on action space and take the action. When it runs out, it can be moved to another location to take that action. There's no turns. You can move your own timers anytime after they ex- expired. Yeah. So when we look here, and once again, we'll sort them by... And it's implicit, but they are real-time games. 
uh, the, the only turn structure is when does your hourglass end? When can you take another action? I mean, I always called them uh, 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 sand glass worker placement games, basically. But I guess that doesn't sound as official as action timers. Sure. I'm trying to find the first one. I think, I think, I think the first one was um, yeah. Time and Space. It wasn't called Time and Space originally, though, I think. I want to say it had a different name. Time and Space is Bonacore's. Uh, maybe it was. Co- oh, nope, Space Dealer. Uh, yeah, I, just, I just did a search, and um, Time and Space was not first out the gate in 2013. Uh, you've got to go back all the way to Mr. Tim Fowers in 2010 with Walkstar. Nope, nope, nope. It's actually nope, Space, nope, nope. Space Dealer in 2006. That's not on the list here. Um, but well, if it's not on BGG. It doesn't count. Well, it is on BGG. It's a uh, Space Dealer. I knew that Time and Space was a reimplementation of Space Dealer, oh, and that I came see. out in two thousand six. Okay. So there's an interesting thing about these games, and you'll notice when you look at the different ones that are listed here. So we see Kitchen Rush, Walkstar, Time and Space, Rush MD, Wartime, Chronos Conquest, and so on. And and that oh is oh my gosh, the, um, the pirate game isn't here. Oh, you're right. Um, That's a huge oversight. What's that game called now? That's arguably the best one. Well. Anyway, I'm sorry. I interrupted. Go on. No, that is good. I was going to say they're mostly cooperative games. Yes. And and the pirate one, which we're all forgetting the name of. uh, Tale of Pirates, I think. Tale of Pirates. Well, I'm going to pull it up here and look on the screen. That's easy enough. Tale of – I even have it in the uh, Dice Tower Library. I know I do because – yeah, I ranked it an eight. I like it a lot. Tail Pirates. It's an excellent game. And I am editing it right now to ensure it is properly flagged. <laughs> we will do this. <laughs> Two men versus Board Game Geek. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. Oh, wow. This new box lid for it, though. I haven't seen this box lid. I have the boring brown looking box lid. This one is much nicer from Cranio Creations. So, anyhow, the way these work, folks, is that you will take a timer and you'll flip it. And then when that you get to usually you get to take the action right away, and then when the timer flips, you can move it somewhere else. But what I was going to say is that most of these are cooperative games, and the reason I think for this is that first one that we just talked about, which was uh, not Tale of Pirates. I had the other game, the one from two thousand six that also is two thousand space Space Dealer. Okay, Space Dealer or Time and Space. The problem with this game was. It's a cooperative game, but what can happen – I mean it's not a cooperative game. It's a competitive game, and what can happen in it is what I would call accidental cheating. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of times when you play a game and somebody does an action and then uh, you're like, oh, no, no, you can't do that. And they're like, oh, oh sorry. Right? That, that happens in games all the time. Or mm. someone will say, you know, it happens to me. I'll do something. Someone says, oh, I thought you couldn't do that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, right. When it's a real-time game, you cannot keep track of all that stuff. I don't watch oh, the Tom, other you're, people Oh, Tom, you're invisible, by the way, again. It's all me. Oh, yeah. Uh, I blame Roy. It is not Roy's fault <laughs> at all. I will. I will. I'll take the. Oh, wow. I got to. Maybe this one works better. Nope. Let's go back to that and add Rado in. And then back to... I forget what we're doing now. We're looking at these. There we go. All right, we're back. 
It's so. live, folks. Alrighty. Um, Tom does not have his support staff with him. He's flying solo. Yeah. So, uh, man, I keep forgetting what I was talking about. Oh, oh. So, in time and space, and space do it before it. Yeah. Someone could have made rules mistakes, and you would not have known. And and and, and potentially they wouldn't know either. Because sure. Again, I'm not saying just, I, go go go. There's no time to double check or triple check things. Yeah. And I, that's why I call it unintentional cheating. No one means it. It's not nefarious. And so I know people like these games, but I think that's that's a problem with them. So in a cooperative game, it works better. If someone yeah. makes that mistake and no one notices, who cares? At the now, end of well, the day – people. There are some people who care because inevitably when I cover one of these games – most recently I did a video for Kitchen Rush. Jen and I filmed it together and we had a great time. And there are always folks who jump into the comments and say, yeah, I have to totally pass on this – because of the accidental cheating. I, I trust my friends to not cheat, but I don't trust them to play by the rules. And the whole game is ruined. It's completely invalid if there's even the slightest... If there's a 1% chance that somebody made a mistake, our win is invalid. Kind of as channeling Batman there from Batman v Superman. If there's even a 1% chance. You have to take it as a given. And I don't I, know. I don't agree with that. if you had fun. That's I agree. the only important thing. But also when you're playing a cooperative game, if you do something, I'll say, oh, no, no, we well, got to do this. And so that works. And so of the cooperative ones, Walkstar is definitely the first in that regard. Yes. Um, and then that came out with a couple editions. Uh, Walkstar was originally, I want to say, published under Game Salute. But then Tim Fowers took it back and did it under his own brand. Yeah, I went all indie. And Walkstar was really great. I remember playing it back at the time and being so excited. Because uh, I really love the idea, um, you know. Because I, I, at that point, I was still mostly more into video games than board games. And I thought this will have that that tension and that excitement, and I loved it. And my wife hated it; she could not stand it. And um, I mean, it was just too overwhelming for her. It made her feel stupid. It wasn't the game's fault. She just wasn't, I think, at that point in our evolution as gamers, ready for that kind of experience. But these days, she loves this mechanism. And, I love uh, you know, real time. Much more comfortable. What about mm-hmm. Kitchen Rush? So Kitchen Rush is the most popular of all these. Do you like that one? Uh, yes. I liked Kitchen Rush quite a bit. Kitchen Rush had the bad luck of coming out within a month or two of Tale of Pirates. You know, they both came out in 2017. And uh, it was one of those Sophie's Choice. Well, okay, these both do a really great job of cooperative stuff. But do I want to make food in a kitchen? Or do I want to chase down pirate ships with a cool rotating pirate board? And ultimately... I erred on the side of uh, Pirate Chips, even though I do think Kitchen Rush had the slightly stronger design. Because there, there's an interesting thing between these two. Right, uh, my worker is an hourglass. I put it down. In Kitchen Rush, and now uh, Rush MD, the medical sequel, you get to do the action immediately. And then you got to wait 30 seconds and you can think about what you're going to do next. In Tile of Pirates, it's the opposite. You have to put it down, and it's not until the 30 seconds pass that you can do your action. And that always felt very clunky to me. And uh, maybe it's on purpose to kind of throw your rhythm off. But I, uh, I do think Kitchen Rush of the two is better. But it was not as high a quality in terms of presentation. It didn't have the neat board and all of that. But I think uh, I agree. Rush but there's also there's fun. also other differences too. Um, oh the sure, pi- sure. The pirate game has an app. You may not want to use the app. You pretty much got to use the app for the pirate game. Yes, the pirate it game is also has mandatory multiple scenarios and can be a little bit more confusing. Kitchen Rush is very straightforward. Personally, I, 
I like the pirate one better, but I think Rush MD, my review for that's going up uh, in a week or so. I mm-hmm. like that one much better than Kitchen Rush. I feel like it has a better story to it. And not a story, but you are healing the patient. You're putting the patient yep. in a bed, moving them around and working on them. And it, I found it to be superior to Kitchen Rush. I agree. I, I actually, of the, of these three, of, you know, Tail Pirates, Rush MD, and Kitchen Rush, I actually liked Rush MD the best because the other thing it introduces is dexterity elements. Minor, minor dexterity elements, but yeah. yes. Uh, and, and, and that's the right thing to do. If it had been major dexterity elements when you're racing against the clock and you're already just in danger of knocking stuff over as you're frantically trying to reach around for stuff on the board, it would have been too much. But I thought they, they hit it just right. Just simple little like balancing things or you know the, you know, the fact that um, when you're trying to prepare the medicines, everybody literally has tweezers that they have to pick up the wooden pieces with and you know, put them on the board to replicate um, you know, trying to maintain a sterile environment. I mean, there's lots of really cool touches there. I liked it a lot. There's a couple other games listed here on Board Game Geek. Uh, there is Wartime, the Battle of Valiance Vale, which I'm sure you've never played because it's a war game. And this nope. one, you actually flip timers over. When a timer's over, you can move your piece to go attack other people. And again, I liked it. Fine, I enjoyed it, but it's the Venn diagram of people who want to play a war game and also want to play it in real time is difficult because the faster person is likely going to win. Mm. Yeah, I guess that's just a fundamental issue with these is competitive games. No two ways about it. Unless they try to design something in. Like, you know, I mean, I, you know, there are some games out there where it's a, it's a speed game. The timer goes, everybody just go as fast as you can. And usually the, the player who's fastest can think on their feet will win. But sometimes... Designers are smart and say, oh, but whoever goes last gets, you know, an extra bonus or something like that. I think you'd have to do something like that in a competitive game to offset the fact that some people are just more decisive and quick-witted. And that's, I don't know, would you say that's an unfair advantage? Is it an unfair Uh, advantage? I don't think it's an unfair. I'm more tactically adept than you. I don't know. No, I don't think it's an unfair advantage because um, it's perfectly legit. It's like saying, well, you're smarter than me, so that's an unfair advantage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've how, often felt like that when I'm playing with my wife, though. In however, in that realm of things, I don't have a problem if you say, because you're better than me at this by a mile, I don't want to play it with you. Yeah. That's legitimate. The same yeah. as me saying, well, you work out all the time, and I don't feel like wrestling. Yeah. Because okay. you're going to beat me. Not an unfair advantage, but an unfun advantage. Ah. That- I just Words. coined a phrase. I like it. I like a it. Trademark. Well, it's probably it probably exists. There's another one of these. It's a uh, I, I, the name has completely eluded me. Um, that came out from the company has also eluded me. But it's a two player tactical duel back and forth. That's very similar to the war one, but it was a lot easier to watch all the timers. There were a lot of moments in the game where both players sitting there waiting for a timer to run out before they could do it. And so you were able to see the board a little bit better, and I really enjoyed it, and it's totally – It's not on the list. It's not. Again, these these mechanisms were changed about, I don't know, four or five months ago. So I know that a lot of things – and there's probably not a lot of – you have to know the games. Yeah. You can't – like you could take a game and say, okay, what mechanisms does it fit in? That would be such a long, arduous process. A better way is to have a group committee like us. You know, we all get together. And we say, so what's your favorite game with this 
this game. Well, that's not on the list. What? You know, what? that's, I think, the best way to, to work on that. Yeah. I like this mechanism. I don't think it should be used too often, right? I think that well, this, yeah. this, this could be overdone, and every time you make this game, it's going to be compared to Kitchen Rush or the pirate game. Um, so I, I do see here that Wolfenstein... I see that now as well, and that makes me sad because these guys contacted me to cover Wolfenstein for their upcoming upcoming Kickstarter release. And I have to admit, I just dismissed it out of hand because I knew my wife would just not be interested in the subject matter. But if I'd known that it is a sandcastle worker placement game, which I find hard to believe. I'm looking at the pictures here, and I'm not seeing You see no sand, sand timers? I do not. I mean, it might be there. Let me look. Now you're BJ and your companions fighting going through Castle Wolfenstein. Uh, isn't this on Kickstarter like right now? I know if it isn't, it's going to be very, very soon. All righty. Well, either but I don't way. I think it's launched yet. Yeah, I mean, there, I think somebody. So it's interesting. You know, obviously, Jeff, in coming up with his naming convention, was trying to be consistent. But I suspect the fact that this mechanism does not have the word sand timer in the name is going to lead to potentially a higher-than-normal mislabeling. Because, I mean, how else would you do this other than sand timers? What other kind of action timer? I mean, I guess every single thing could be a little digital clock app. Oh, my word. (laughs) Well, then if you're going to do that, then the whole game would be digital. No, actually, that sounds really cool. A worker placement game. Where all the workers have their own, you know, their little, like, watch batteries in them. And when you put them out there, they've got little LEDs, like, you know, uh, 24 countdown timers. And they, they, and, and if you're going that far, each one of them has a tiny little speaker. And the workers can shout at you, I need a new job. And, no, okay. oh, my God, that would be amazing. Well, if you're going to do that, then depending on what space you put them in, it takes them longer. Like, this worker, he's, he's good at cutting down trees, but he's terrible if you put them in the mine. <laughs> And this worker's lazy, and he might just sit there and do nothing for a while. But when he does work, it's amazing. So, okay, they have little microchips, too. So they can actually track the morale based on the jobs you give to them. And they could actually have a worker revolt where they refuse to do anything. I, I, think, I think it's time to We need to, to get to the, work on this, the, Tom. The top five. <laughs> Here we go. Okay. All right, folks, and I, when we do a top five, it's not top five games we designed. It's time for you to give us a topic, and I'll go through and pick four of these topics, and then we will put together the definitive list without X-Men. Top, I'm not better, I'm not better, um, the, the top five list. He is the best. He is the best X-Man. Oh, wow, people were ready for this one this time. Oh, I bet. All right, today we're going to be looking for a board game topic here. Okay. We got some good ones, though, that are not board game topics, but I'm going to be picking ones. Ooh, I like that one. All right. Maybe I'll pick it, or maybe I won't. All righty. Yeah, I got a lot of uh, where's X-Men, where's Daredevil, where's Hulk um, from that last one we did on uh, about Marvel characters. 
All right, I got three. Looking for the fourth one. <laughs> All righty. Well, there's a lot of non uh, non uh, board game things here. <laughs> I like this one. The top five pasta shapes. <laughs> and you laugh, but I actually could make that list pretty fast. I, I could probably come up. I think I could come up with that. They got to come all right, back. All right, all right, all right. I got them. Here we go. All right. So all right. I have – stop stop giving me topics here, people. Okay. So <laughs> top five micro games, the top five polynomial games. Oh. Polynomial. Polynom, polyomino. Polyomino. Yeah. Yes. Polynomial, I'm sure, has a very different meaning. It, it does. All right. You can just uh, say Tetris games. It's fine. Top five video games that should be board games. And – Top five board games named after a city. Oh, okay. Hmm. <sighs> right. Polyominoes, cities, micro. video games to board games, and micro games. Micro games. Jeez, this is tough. Uh, I have to admit <laughs> that I, my inclination is to go for polyomino games. Although... I'm feeling like I might be doing a top 10 on that in the not-too-distant future because I'm definitely to that point now where there are so many amazing games in the post-patchwork world we live in now. So I might wait on that, unless that's the one you were really excited about. I'm not telling you. All right. Okay. Uh, Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I get to choose. I am the decider. I say polyomino games. All righty, this is from Ross Updike. Top five polyomino games. Now, I don't yeah. know that there's even... Is there even, like, a, a way to... Yes, is there... there is, in fact. Let me... What, what's, what, what is one? All right, let's just do a search for patchwork. I believe okay. there is a category that has been flagged for this. Except I cannot type patchwork. Patchwork. And this one, I actually want to take kind of seriously. Because I, I, this, is, this is fast becoming one of if not my favorite mechanism i have always loved tile drafting all right uh, but remember r- remember uh <laughs> remember the veto part so let me let me go through some of the uh games on this list we'll just talk about them real briefly before we start throwing them yeah, out there, there is a just, board game family called polyominoes there i yeah. i i found it all yep, right yep, yep. so so let's see patchwork is obviously the most famous on the list and we got blocus or bloku or Blockus, however you want to pronounce it. Feast for Odin. The See, Od- I, I'm not going to call... I, w- I would veto Feast for Odin, quite frankly. Because that is not a... That is a, that is a worker placement game that miners in polyomino. And it's not to say it's not a, an important element of the game, but to... I mean, I, 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 first and foremost, it's a worker placement game. I'm not arguing that. Patchwork, which is all about the, the polyominoes. So when I redo this list on my own someday, this will be my number one, just as a heads Fair up. Fair enough. All right. Then Princess of Florence, which is, I guess if you're vetoing Feast for Odin, you got to veto this because this is also an auction game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And honestly, I wouldn't. Uh, Feast for, you know, Princess of Florence, it has its place in the pantheon of the, you know, the Hall of Fame. But, ugh, I don't think it necessarily holds up, which I'm sure is blasphemy to folks out there. But hey, doesn't support two players? Okay, you're right out the door. Um, and then it has that same Puerto Rico. If you don't play right, it's going to be a 
bad time for you at the table, which I can personally attest to from when I played it with Jason Levine. And I, Jason Levine is the only person I've ever shouted at in a game where I said, Jason, you have to stop right now. It was, uh, it was a rough time in my life that I was going through. But it worked out in the end. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. Okay, so then we got Baron Park, clearly in this category. Yeah, I mean, Baron Park, that's the first one that pops into my head as a, as a must-add. Well, let's go through them uh, first because we might you don't want to miss any. We got Zaya, okay, which okay. is a right, space we're game. This one seriously. A space game. Then we got the trilogy. We got Cottage Garden, mm-hmm. um, Spring Meadow, and what's the third one? It's uh Indian right. Summer. One could say it's a politically uh troublesome title. Is Indian Summer considered to be that? Is it? I don't know. I'm not sure. I actually, I when I covered it, I was a little nervous about it. Um, you know, it's not like the Braves or something like that as a sports team, but anyway, yes. Oh, I don't know. There's um, a question for you. Of the trilogy, and for folks who don't know, um, you know, Uwe Rosenberg, Mr. Agricola, Mr. Caverna, Mr. Uh, Bonanza, has really made a central pillar of his design <laughs> philosophy for the last... I think he has seven. <laughs> I know. He just can't stop doing it. He's obsessed. It's, it's become his thing. Um, but these are the three that came out in rapid succession from the same publisher, I believe. No, Patchwork is a different publisher. No, no, that's right. The three are the same publisher. Anyway, of those three, which do you rate the highest? I know it's, I, for me, it's an easy choice. It's actually not so easy for me because I go back and forth. I, I like the uh, Spring Meadow, but it's like a slow version of, of Tetris. Um, I like... The most beautiful, I think, is Indian Summer, but at the end, at the end of the day, oh, I think I just lost you. Are you back? Alrighty, folks. I think I lost Mr. Rado. That's a sad thing. We'll try to bring him back here. It's just me now. We'll bring him back, folks. We can't let Mr. Rado go. Hello. Hey, everybody. There Can we, we go. Can we blame Comcast or AT&T? Um, this is Comcast's fault. Even Comcast. If, even if we were running on AT&T, I would have blamed Comcast. Okay. So anyway, um, as I was saying, I think Indian Zipper is the prettiest, but I think at the end of the day, now having played all three... And having some years behind me now to look at them all, the simplest and most enjoyable for me is Cottage Garden. The first one. Ah, interesting. Yeah. I would go the. – I'm on the opposite end. I think Spring Meadow is by far the best because it um, it is a more challenging game because it um, follows the Tetris mold where, hey, your stuff has to come in at the top and they have to be slid into place. You are much more heavily restricted into how you place your tiles. Uh, as opposed to the other two where, well, you can kind of spread however you want. Same for patchwork, really. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it makes it a little bit more laid back, a little bit more relaxing, and, it, and I'm, I'm not quite as racked with tension will I be able to split stuff in. Well, so I know, but that's, that's kind of but that's kind of why I like it, because sometimes I don't want that tension, especially when teaching new people to play. Mm. Right. Uh, fair enough. What are these new people to play of which you speak? 
Yeah, I know. That's well, a, <laughs> that is an alien concept to me. Tiny towns, does that fit? I don't think it does. Uh, it could have. And I it's see like it's on the doing list it, here. You're doing but, it in abstract. You're placing blocks down in a polynomial shape, which then yeah. become a building. I don't think so. I, I think uh, I think it's it's its own category. Adjacent. All right. What about Ubongo? Never played it. Oh, this is like a speed game, basically, where you have a a shape. You get some you get some of these Tetra shapes. You just got to fill it up as fast as you can. Fit, mm. fit, you know, it's like a puzzle. How do you fit okay. these shapes into that? What about New York 1901? This is a polynomial game of buildings, putting them in New York from uh, Blue Orange. That was a very that's a that's a wonderful gateway game. I, I, I we actually like that one quite a bit from yeah from Blue Orange Games, although for, for my taste too light. I mean I, I I could totally play that with my mom and I, I think she'd be comfortable with it. Cleopatra and a Society of Architects has polynomials in it as a partial thing, so I think we'll yeah. cancel that. Number nine is polynomials done differently. It's they're like stacked on top of each other. Hmm. Would you want to recommend that one? Would you want to put that in the top? I don't know. I'm just saying that, that I think that could count. Yeah. And, and I think – so it, unfortunately I, – I mean, not unfortunately, but I think you have to include – there's a lot of roll and write games that are using this now. Cartographers is polynomials. You're just drawing yeah. them on the paper. All right. Does – I mean – so polyomino does not require a physical object. Right. The official definition, these games use various – kinds of polyominoes for pieces, implying that there has to be a physical piece. A polyomino is a plain geometric figure formed by joining one or more equal squares edge to edge. So we have to get into the lawyery business. Look, of, I'm okay if, if you want to exclude the... If you want to exclude the... If I were making this list right now, it would make my life a lot easier. If I were really doing my real top ten, I would take out any of the tangentials. I would say, <laughs> look, this is just about pure... I mean, because if I were making a top 10 card games, you know what? Every game on my shelf has cards in some form. Well, and sure. and I, I just want to drill down to the things that are just pure polyomino. No I'm just not as uh, stressed about this as you are. I just make the list and what happens, happens. All right. These are important, Tom. Arcadia does polynomials to some degree as part of its game. The Isle of Cats, certainly. This is a new one. Fits. Mm, and an excellent one. An excellent one. Fits is... Um, Tetris from Rainer Knizia. Have you played this one where the pieces drop yes, down? Yes, I have, yeah. I mean, actually, what? how old do these go back? Because I would have thought Fitz is one of... It's 2009. It's a really old one, isn't it? Big City is technically a polynomial game. You just don't notice because they're big plastic pieces. Mm, okay. But again, it's more about the game than putting the pieces on. In the Hall, the Mountain King has this, but again, if you're going to disclude... Uh, Feast for Odin, you got to cool. I will immediately veto it. It is an excellent game. But yeah, there's a lot more going on than just getting those tiles on the table. Now, Copenhagen is on the list. That's for sure. That's oh. a, that's one where you're dropping the tile. You got to play the cards to get the power. Yeah, I like but... Copenhagen a lot. A lot, a lot. Well, this is a very crowded category, honestly. Uh, there's more than I thought. You will be able to make a top 10. But if I'm taking out the. The roll and rights, that makes it a little easier. Yep. Scarabia, or Scarabia, I don't know how to pronounce it. I've not played that one. Z did that Yeah, that one one, uh, escaped my my notice as well, I have to admit. 
City Skylines, the board game, is polynomials, sort of. And uh, Oh. Don't, I'm gonna, don't, I'm, okay, I'm nominating City Skylines. I'm vetoing it. Anyhow, oh, so. <laughs> that lasted for all of 3.2 <laughs> seconds. Who oh, came up with this veto idea? It was me. And yeah, you're crazy about that one. City Skylines is fantastic. And it's a great polyomino <laughs> game, and it's cooperative. Is it the only cooperative polyomino game out there? It might be. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've nominated it knowing that I could, I'd get that veto out of the way too sweet. <laughs> uh, uh, Ohio. Um, oh, or, or, or Ohio. Yeah, that's a good one too. That one is most certainly trying to be like Jeez, Tetris. This is a hard list to make. I I agree. Um, okay, well, I think we've gone through some of the, yeah, okay, the, yeah. the top okay, so ones here. I'm start recommending stuff for real. And in spite of everything that's just been said, I am going to throw Baron Park out there. Oh, no. Baron Park, there's two, I think, that are just hands down easy. Baron Park is one. Yeah. Uh, I agree. And the other for me would be Isle of Cats. That game is just I, so no solid. No argument at all. Isle Cats might be the number one if we were to literally rank these. I would have to sit and think about it for a while, but man, I really liked Isle of Cats. It's such it a is good game. So fantastic! Uh, it is perfection. And I don't know if you have you only played the full game. The gateway rules that come with it work wonderfully. I was able to play this with my mother-in-law, who had never played modern board games, but she just liked cats, and she had a great time. I mean, that game is for everybody. That's going to make a well. It made my top ten last year because it's officially a last year game. But I'm sure it's going to be in a lot of top ten lists at the end of this Ooh, year. I'm looking at the uh, the comments from the uh, the people playing or who are watching this, and there's one game that I forgot about Uh-oh. that I don't know that you've played it yet, but it was on Kickstarter, and that's Project L. Project L. Um, a lot of people were talking about that at Dice Tower West. Actually, that was all have you played it? No, I have not. It's it, here's the thing. It's way too abstract for me. Um, a- anything these that are would make all abstract and has a theme, even if it's just loose, <laughs> loosiest, goosiest theme. I still, I got to feel like I'm building something other than just geometric shapes. Sorry. So then, so then you don't like patchwork because I mean that's literally just a quilt. Um, patchwork, patchwork is on the hairy edge. I mean, it's it's enough. It's enough. Especially since if you go to my next room, I've got a gigantic quilt hanging on the wall that um, my mother-in-law made for my wife. And so quilts are a big thing in our life. I thought that was okay. Well, okay, so we had two. There's absolutely no arguing at all. Then it gets a little bit more into the weeds. Oh, have you played Clip Cut Parks? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um... Where you literally make your own polyominoes, effectively? Do you often make polynomials in the game? I found that I did it rarely. You just can't have, do it. You can't stop saying polynomial, can you? Ah, uh, <laughs> I was a math teacher. Oh, um, uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, that's you're right. That's going to be a hard habit to break. Um, you don't make. I mean, technically, they're all polynomial polyominoes for sure. Yes, but I found I often made a straight line of one, two, or three. That was often what I built. Yes, occasionally I'd make a, a corner cut. So okay. I, I, yeah, I, I think so. I, well, mean, I like the I like the game a lot. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Um, although it does feel more of a, it's almost more of an amusing. It 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 is. I mean, it's. I I think you know. We a few weeks ago we talked about gimmicks that could have made our top five gimmick games. I think you know cutting up. Oh yeah, cutting. Yeah, because there's up, another game coming out that does it as well. That does that same idea of of cutting stuff up. It's from Russia. Can't remember the name of it. 
So, okay, I'll leave that off the list. It's just, it's just an honorable mention because it's just so clever. How well, are you about, about Patrick? We, we have to consider Patchwork at least. Oh, so you're nominating Patchwork. No, I'm not. I'm asking. <laughs> it's, it's like we both feel like we're obligated to, but neither of us want to. <laughs> well, then we don't have to. This is our list for crying out loud. Yeah. So I'm saying, I'm saying Copenhagen. Copenhagen. Um, Copenhagen is fantastic. I love Copenhagen so much. Again, because it uses that, that extra level of complexity with the Tetris notion. I, I, I will accept it. Uh, and continuing on that same line, what are you going to say about, I know you played it, Arhile. Copenhagen and Arhile are kind of really in the same ballpark. Would you put Arhile over Uwe's trilogy? <sighs> no, no, I, I, well, if we get back to the trilogy, I think we have to include one of them. And I still argue Spring Meadow is the best of them. And you okay. want Cottage Garden. No, 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 no. Here's the thing. So if we put Arhile as four, because we get this out of the way, so we go to questions. Um, well, okay. I have I, you at a disadvantage because actually there's one that I know you haven't played. It's because it's literally going live on Kickstarter today. It may have already done, and I should have made my run-through for it live by now. It is called Planet Unknown. Ah, uh, people are mentioning that in the comments, but I and have not Planet played that. Planet Unknown. Is it live, folks? Let me know, because i got to make my video live, but I'm stuck with this guy. i got my job to do. Planet <laughs> Unknown, to me, feels like, what would um, Terraforming Mars be if it were a polyomino tile layer? And the answer, Amazing. Amazing. I People who have already seen my video have put to me, okay, Rado, if you have to pick Planet Unknown or Isle of Cats, pick one. And that gave me pause. Really? That's pretty yes. strong praise. Yes. Here's the deal. Um, it's a you know tile drafting. There's a bunch of polyomino shapes you've got to grab. Like I said, folks, go check it out on Kickstarter now or soon. But the game comes with a Lazy Susan. A literal Lazy Susan that all the tiles are laid out on, and, you know, whatever wedge of the Lazy Susan is pointing me, okay, I, you know, I, I decide how far the Susan rotates, I'll take these, and that means everybody else around the table gets um, tiles from whatever's in front of them in front of the Lazy Susan. And then we all place them onto our, our planet that we're terraforming, and every tile has two elements that let you push up on different technology tracks. And these technology tracks are just overloaded with bonus combo unlock scoring things. It's, it's a blast. Uh, Jen and I were really blown away. A big part of it is the quasi-toy factor of the Lazy Susan, because it's just fun to actually have that physical thing moving around. But then it's a phenomenal tile-laying game, and it's a great combo-laden game, too. I mean, All right, I'm I, looking at it now, and this this does look pretty cool. Yeah, this looks pretty cool. I, I don't think it's on Kickstarter yet. I'm on the pre-Kickstarter page. Okay, because okay, they haven't launched yet. I believe they are launching today at some point. Well, maybe oh, wait, okay. Hey, you know what? I'm checking my email. It has been launched. It was okay. launched about 30 minutes ago, which means I got to go make my video live, uh, which I can do while still talking. So here's the thing, I strongly nominate this one. And it's unfair to you because you won't play it for months and months and months and you won't watch my video either, I know. You but, don't know! Uh, I watch your videos all the... <laughs> Wait, it's Planet Unknown. Okay, cool. Um, no, I, I I can't pick a game I haven't played. Um, I know. So, but... Uh, do you trust me? No. Um, <laughs> okay. Not enough for well, top then, five. Planet Unknown Time will have to come another day on Corner. However, to corner. I'm okay with that. To make up for it, I will give you Spring Meadow because 
even though I like the other one slightly better, at the end of yeah. the day, I like all three. So it's, all right. I think I, I'm actually surprised they haven't come out with like a box of all three. That's a really good idea. Yeah. The trip. Yeah. I don't know how well all three of them sold though. So they might not have. <laughs> we often think games sell better than they do. Yeah. Alrighty, folks. Well, that's our top five. Right, top five? That was Isle of Cats. Isle of Cats. Copenhagen. Spring Meadow and Ohio. Ohio. Well, that's five. That's right. I'm, 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 I'm happy with that list. It's question time. Let's do it. Alrighty, folks. If you have questions, now's your time to ask them. And let me move a few of these things around here so I can easily put the questions in. Alrighty. Well, either way, what's the game you have in front of you, by the way? Um, this would be Tiny Towns, and I'm glad you asked. After we are done here, Tom, if folks would like to stick with me, much like last week, I'm going to be doing a live playthrough of this with uh, the fine folks of Alderac Entertainment, the game's publisher. I Unfortunately, I don't have a link like I did last week, so you'll just have to go to Facebook. Ugh! Why are they streaming on Facebook, Tom? And do a search for Alderac Games, and you will find... Uh, for the last week or two, every day, they've been having guests on and doing live playthroughs of Tiny Towns. And I said, okay, I will come and I will play Tiny Towns. And uh, so folks can find me. Uh, as soon as we're done, I've got to jump ship and figure out how to log on to that. Ooh, this is a good one here. First question okay. from Jasmine. What are your favorite games that you think you'll never get to play again, legacy <sighs> or not? That's a well, really... That's a sad question. Sure. Like, I, I, I want to say Pandemic Legacy, but I feel like I'm going to play it again. I, I, like, I feel like someday in the future, I'll have some grandkids, and I'll be like, let me take you on an adventure. Or like, just get out your old copy because it's still 100% playable. Oh, I'm sorry I opened this door. Legacy 2 was not, but Pandemic Legacy I have played many times on our finalized board. It's just a cool custom board we've got. Yeah. Uh, but... Anyhow, no. Um... That I'll never get to play again. Hmm. Um, I might, my first thing that pops into my head would be um, Space Hulk Death Angel, in all honesty. Huh. That's funny because my first one was going to be Warhammer 40,000. I think I'll never play that again. We are definitely in the same neighborhood. That's some some, uh, synergy there. I love it to pieces, and I shouldn't because I hate Roll to Resolve. Um, But I, I love everything about that game. My wife vehemently despises it. Uh, because she is just can't stand James Cameron's alien style settings, and so the only way I can play it is solo, and that makes me very sad because I very rarely play solo games, and so that would probably that's probably it. And I've got all the little mini expansions for it. I've never played any of them. It's so sad, Tom. So sad. Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, there's some experiences that. I don't know. I mean, Warhammer, like, I, I, I don't say all these old collectible card games because I feel like I could be talked into that at some point. <laughs> because, because they're so small, right? And they're easy to yeah. get. But Warhammer, I think I'm, I'm good with. Um, probably forever. So how did we meet? So we'll, we'll assume in person here because, um, uh, man, I know I was, I used to be so jealous because Rado went to Essen and I did not. Yep. Uh, that is no longer a jealousy thing after having gone to Essen. It's a lot of work. And I would watch his videos despite him saying I don't watch them. 
I would watch his videos where he went through the hall for 40 oh. minutes and yep. just talked himself hoarse. And I was just I – would, I would keep pausing the video because someone doesn't know how to like slowly pan. Um, to I've gotten look, better. To look at the different things there. Uh, did we meet at – where did, I think I, we did meet at Essen, quite frankly. It might have been Essen. Oh, yeah, because you played think, a game with Ryan Metzler. I remember that. Okay. Yeah, I remember playing a game with Ryan Metzler at Essen once. Here's the deal. I hope you don't remember this. And I really feel like I shouldn't mention it just in case you do. But I, I came away from meeting you the first time with my ears burning because I have no idea why. But I, I said hello to you in kind of a joking, jovial way. And I used a really foul curse word. And I don't even remember what I said, but I remember as soon as it came out of my mouth, like, why am I cursing in front of Tom Vassell? He's like the board game industry's uh, preacher. He's our, he's our school marm. You don't curse in front of Tom Vassell. And, um, and you were cool about it. You just took it in stride. And I thought, oh my God, am I just an industry enemy now? You what is know. wrong with me? What is you don't wrong know some of the me? people I, I've met in this industry. I, um, Did you uh, remember that? Yes, because I, oh, yes. no, because later on I was like, I didn't know he talked like that. <laughs> yeah, I, and it, I think I probably did it on purpose. It's I mean, in real life, I I do kind of I, I you know, hey, I, I worked in the video game industry for decades. It it kind of builds up, and sometimes I use it for comedic effect because I know people will be surprised if they hear Rado cursing. But yeah, that was not the right time or place. And I, if I never did, I would like to apologize because that was not getting it off on a good foot. Now, was actually the thing that that struck me was is most of the time when I meet people in person, they're very different than their online personas, and you yeah. were not. <laughs> and so, because he just was like off to the races, and I was like, "Oh, I have a lot of things to argue with you about, and we don't have time." And <laughs> and because I because I love in person, not debate is a strong word, but like spirited discussions. I like there to talk go. to people who aren't just parroting back to you what you agree with it's fun to have a back and forth and i remember yeah. that and then i remember ryan metzler played a game with him uh and we were rooming together ryan came back and he said that man never stopped talking the whole game <laughs> i'm I just well, trying to make sure everybody's having a good time <laughs> all right how the question here is how did you both make the move from gamer to reviewer i think it's a gradual hmm. thing but where do you feel like when you – after you were done, you are like, I'm a reviewer now? Um, well, that's a good question specifically. I mean because I started doing this because I had been in the video game industry for almost 20 years. I was totally burned out. I quit. I, I, I retired and figured out what am I going to do next? Okay, I'll figure it out. Um, and it was, my wife was terrified that I was just going to be hanging around the house all the time in my mid-40s, and I was going to drive her nuts because she's worked at home for her entire adult, almost her entire adult life. And she said, you're going to have to have a hobby. And somebody on Board Game Geek said, hey, uh, Joel Eddie of Drive Through Review, you've got Helvetia. Could you make a video of it? And Joe said, I don't know, maybe. And I thought, oh, I'll grab my camera and I'll do it. And I just kind of did it in the back of my mind thinking, well, this could be a hobby. This could be a good way to pass the time. And I remember thinking at the time that if it becomes popular, maybe I could start getting free review copies of games like that Tom Vassell guy. That, <laughs> was, that, that was literally the thought process that went through. Um, I guess you, I mean, you can't say I was a professional until I was literally making a living out because we ultimately then moved to Malta. I got another job in the video game industry. I, it wasn't a real retirement. It was just kind of a, uh, a, a furlough, I suppose. And then I went back in and um, I did that job for a year. It was over. And then we decided... 
well, we'd like to stay here in Malta because it's one of the cheapest places in the world to live. It's like third world cost of living, but first world amenities. Um, how can we do this? And I, I had still been doing Rotto Runs Through just on the side, you know, when I, when I wasn't at work. And I thought, well, well, if we want to stay here in Malta and not go back to England or back to America, maybe I should run a Kickstarter. You know, because by that point, again, that Tom Vassell guy did it, and it worked out okay. Tom Vassell guy's a jerk. I know. And anyway, you, were the, you were there. You were my star every step of the way, my guiding light. Um, and I figured, and, and you know, it was, it was a modest success. I think I brought in 4000 um, which basically covered a year's worth of board game buying for me. And I would say, yeah, as soon as people started paying money, when, when, I, uh, when, I, when I got up the, the courage to do that, I became a professional because at that point, I mean, because a big part of it was I am really, after my experience in Malta working in the video game industry, I was so burned out. I never wanted to go back to it. And I was really enjoying Rod Orange Through. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe I can, this can be more than a hobby. Maybe this can be more than a way to get free games. Maybe this can be a way to keep me from having to go back to the real world. And I'm very happy to say it worked out for me. Good timing. And uh, that, that would be it for me. What about you? Sure, it's a it's a gradual thing, right? I, it yeah. didn't happen overnight. Ah, there's a different points. I think maybe the first time I went to Origins and someone said, "You're Tom Vassell," because at that point I hadn't been doing the podcast, or I'd been doing the podcast, but but people didn't know what I look like per se, right? And so that was like, wow, someone actually I met a person in real life who reads my reviews, or I would talk to publishers, and a publisher would be like, "Oh, you're Tom Vassell. You wrote a review of our game," and I'd be like, "Oh, that that." That was neat when because when I first started reviewing, I remember distinctly there was a lot of people in the hobby who kind of were like, "Yeah, you're new kid, you know, <laughs> yeah, kid, you'll get jaded after a while." Which, granted, you do get a little more jaded as time goes by. Even if you try not to, just by very nature, you get a new game and you, but you play twenty other games like it. Yeah. But I, I always felt like I was some young kid. Well, I was a young kid. I was in my twenties. Uh, some young kid, but then as time went by and publishers started greeting me by name and stuff, I was like, oh, you know, I'm not just – but it, I think it was, yeah, when I started making money that I, then I felt like a professional to some degree, even though I still don't – and I still find it mind-bogglingly funny when people are going to act like me and Richard are big-name people and <laughs> especially because I've just seen the fringes of the video game industry. He's been in the oh, video game industry mm-hmm. and you would not believe the money and influence that is in that industry compared to yep. the board game. Like the smallest video game reviewers are bigger than us. <laughs> you know, it's exactly. A, well, yep. I should say the smallest, but you know what I mean? There's just, there is so much money there. The scale is completely off the charts. I mean, yeah, we're moderately large fish in the tiniest of ponds. Do we both still get nervous prior to recording a live video? A live video? I I don't think so. I don't think I ever really have gotten nervous. I'm not a, the only thing I'm nervous about is unforeseen technical difficulties. That that sure. I that, Yeah, I mean that bugs me, but I mean in high school I was a regular member of the drama club. I was in three I mean I was in I was actually doing community plays while I was still in high school based off the success of my um the, the high school plays I did. And, you know, I did customer service for Nintendo as a gameplay counselor for years. I, my entire life has been leading up to uh, you know, train me 
to do this job. Another thing, when I was in high school, for a week, I was a door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman. But that was after two weeks of training about how to become a door-to-door vacuum cleaner salesman. So I have always been comfortable getting up in front of people. The most nerve-wracking one I ever did was when I was working on the video game adaptation of Shark Tale, which, hey, you you, you take the work you can get. And at one point, the entire movie production team, we were told their, their morale is really down. Things aren't going well. Could you come out and make a presentation of your game to, to lift them up? And we're like, what? We're the video game. We're the afterthought. What are you talking about? And, we, and I didn't even figure it would be that big a deal. I'll go out show it to a couple dozen people. But they had, at DreamWorks, an auditorium of like 300 people all sitting there waiting for us to show our early pre-alpha build of Shark Tale. That was the one time I think I was genuinely nervous. I was terrified because I had no expectation of it. And it was, a, it was a choppy build, and I had to talk, and I had to play at the same time. That was terrifying. Nothing uh, live streaming on YouTube can ever come close to being in a room of 300 people. And you know your job is you have to make these people feel good about their work. Like, what? That was, <laughs> that was terrifying. I agree. The live stuff... I'm not usually nervous doing it. I don't know. I'm trying to remember if I've ever been nervous doing something live. I'm nervous that the stuff won't break down sometimes, yeah. but that's about it. Live shows, though, I'm usually pretty good with live shows, but there's a couple times I was very nervous. One was on the cruise recently where we did a oh. show on skates, and I hadn't skated. Oh, in... you were riding on roller skates? No, ice skates. I hadn't oh, ice oh, skated wow. in like four years, so I was extremely nervous about just falling down and once i got on the ice as time went by i felt better and better and i didn't fall um so there was that and then also every is there any while, video of this i think people need to see this video it's not as good as you might think there's oh, okay and the blogs of the dice tower i think you can see them um and then for our dice tower gen con shows a couple times we did singing in them and i was always very yeah. nervous because that was a very different beast and Singing is one of those really weird things in life that if you're not that good at it, people criticize you unmercifully. We don't do it with anything else. Yeah. Like if I see some kid playing a board game and they don't do very well and I'm not like, don't quit your day job. I, yeah. Or, when, or anything. Or people are learning how to drive and they, and they slip the clutch. I mean you don't just mercilessly rip them apart. But, but music, people will do that. Yeah. I think American Idol has taught us to do that possibly. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I, I don't know, but so singing is a very risky thing, and so that made me very nervous. But for the most part, I'm pretty good. All right. Ooh, this is a what's our ugliest favorite game? Like a game. Ooh, ugly, like, ugly games. Um, I like right off the bat. I mean, some people <laughs> would disagree, but Glory to Rome. I'll be even I stronger think, than that. I I'll say Glory of the Rome. and stark beauty to it. But I, so I know some people think it's the ugliest thing the industry's ever seen. I'll say Glory to Rome in all its all – its, actually – Oh, in all its iterations? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, That's a fair one. <laughs> I was going to say Seven Ages. It's a big giant war civilization game that looks like it came out 20 years ago because <clears throat> it did. But um, I still like it even though it doesn't yep. look that good. Glory to Rome's a good pick though. Yeah. All right. Uh – Let's see. Someone's asking about yelling at the person. <laughs> what other games? Ooh, what other games need a lazy Susan? And is it really just a replacement for a Rondell system? Um, 
What game couldn't use a Lazy Susan, you have to ask yourself? I would tell you almost every deck-building game could use a Lazy Susan. I got Ooh, one that's built. handy, yeah. I played one for Dominion one time. Super useful. On your turn, the, the one that we used, I bought a Lazy Susan for my house specifically for Quarriers when, oh. I first, when I first came out because I got tired of you know, looking at all the cards. I'm like, ah, just spin it. And we used it mostly for that one game. Because it was a really heavy Lazy Susan and setting it. And then not every game would fit on it. So. Okay. I like Lazy Susan. It's a good idea. Yeah. I, I, it, it, it's, it, like I said, the, the, the plan unknown, it's good used to really good effect. Uh, yeah. Our, our last question, okay. I think, because we're running out of time here. And Rado's got to go play Tiny Towns. Yep, I'm What's just your... looking up. I'm, I'm finding the URL for it now. Yeah. What's your favorite non-gaming thing to do at a convention? <sighs> the easiest answer is eat. Just eat and eat and eat. Sure, I would like to say that too. But, you know, I think I, think I, like, I like talking shop. Because mm. in my life, there's so few people who understand what I do. Like mm-hmm. when I and, and, and you might laugh at this, but the people I enjoy talking to most in the world other than my wife and whatever, you know, but like just other people is Rodney Smith, Richard Ham and uh, Jamie Keggy from the Secret Cabal, because they're the only there's like a group of 20 people who do exactly what I do. <laughs> so we can talk for long periods of time about stuff that we cannot share or no one else would really understand. Right. Or yeah, or, or or be interested in. I mean, you know, the technical problems we have to deal with, how we solve problems, but you know, our relationships with publishers, all of that stuff. Yeah, and I I really like that. And so I get like at BGG Con this past year, I swung by and Rado was at a booth and I talked to him for a brief minute. And Lance Undead Viking swung was there too. And then like an hour later, I was like, oh, I meant to be here for a minute. <laughs> and we just got you, I don't know if you remember that we just got caught up talking about everything yep and so that's my I mean don't get me wrong I love talking to everybody I love talking to people I love talking to publishers but to talk to someone who does the same thing you do is a rarity sometimes I agree that's a good call and I would um, as a, as a addition to that or something similar I really enjoy getting to sit down with the actual designers um, you know and playing their games and uh, you know kind of Hearing it direct from them, you know, and seeing the passion they've got for it and talking to them about, yeah, but why did you make this choice? Wouldn't it be better to go this way? And, you know, getting that kind of one-to-one. I mean, as a former professional designer myself, I love that kind of stuff. All righty. Well, that's it for another day, folks. We will be back on um, Friday. We'll be back on Rado's channel itself. So yes. if you, So if you like what you're seeing... Um, we'll be back Friday at 2 p.m. there. Also, other stuff going up today. Rado just mentioned he has the Planet Unknown video. You yep. can watch that. You can go to the AEG website and watch him play Tiny Towns. I just reviewed a game from I Plat just Hat. created a URL for that, by the way. tt.rado.com will take you right to it. tt.rado.com. That's R-A-H-D-O.com. That's the I place. Rev- Come and watch me lose. I reviewed an amazing game, folks. One of my favorite games of the year, Forgotten Waters today also check that out but until next time i'm tom vassal i'm richard rottoham we'll see y'all next time bye-bye
everybody, I'm Tom Vassell. Hey everybody, it's me, Rotto. And we are back. It is Friday. Today is April 10th, 2020. Uh, which I don't, I was trying to think of some interesting thing to say about that date, but I don't know. It's. No. We're here. Um, although, a week from today, when we get together, it'll be my birthday. Happy birthday! Oh, so, oh wait, I'll wait till next week. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not wasting. Waited, I'm not wasting some pre congratulations on you. Although no, I'm I, dropping the hint there, so you can prepare something very special for next week. But I appreciate that. I always get a little annoyed at people like no one remember my birthday. I'm like, well, remind us. You know, just tell us when it is. He just told me. Now I'll remember it. I'll be the big five one. Alrighty. So first part of what we do. Uh, by the way, if you're watching this, I'm Tom Vassell from the Dice Tower. We do one episode on this channel and one episode on my channel each uh, each week for for the short future. We'll be switching this out to a little bit less active than I was that afraid you were about to say by. the foreseeable future. But I'm, I'm uh, glad no, this. we're going to stretch this out soon because we both have other things we need to record. So the first thing we do is we try to guess what – well, we don't try to guess. We just ask Rado what game he's playing because I can't usually tell. Well, It, look, uh, it looks like it's a space game. I'll be recording later today. Uh, you were not a fan of it, although you might recognize it. The title's right here on the board. It's Destination Neptune. Wow, that's a long time. Is, this is, is there an any, old game. But is there any changes? Uh, significant. Uh, the designer – uh, released on Kickstarter a second edition that literally just came in a plastic sack, but it was an entirely new deck of cards. And you, you remember, I, I remember, uh, oh my goods, how after they released, they changed the rules and it had such a huge impact on the game. That's nothing compared to this. This game is radically different now. Um, you know, they, they completely dropped the the quasi Puerto Rico. I play a card, everybody does a thing. Now it's um, more of a. Uh, uh, Race for the Galaxy, I think. If I want to play this card, i got to sacrifice other cards. But they go into the public queue. That means they're available for other players. When somebody actually does research on a planet location, they own that location. So it's a lot faster. It's a lot punchier. And it's full of a lot more interesting decisions. Uh, you know, Jen and I, we played it the other day. And you know, I hadn't played this for seven years or so since it originally came out. And I, it is it is a night and day improvement. Well, then, see, I'm back on board because I liked, A, I like the theme a lot, a a, a realistic space game, uh, or quasi-realistic, and then, B, I like the fact, I like the idea of the game, it just felt like you did the same thing every time, I'm hoping that this will open it up. Obviously, when you have feedback, things do get better. Yeah, 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 definitely. I didn't dislike the game at all, I just wished it had been more, that's all, and maybe it is now. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, if nothing else, uh, as part of setup, you get unique player powers, a random collection of three that really makes you feel very different from game to game. And um, oh yeah, it's just so. Oh, and there's a there's an auction at the beginning of the game, so you already have some planets preceded. So right out of the gate, you can be rushing out and building stuff. So the the it it it, it, it goes to full speed much quicker. It doesn't have quite so much buildup. I mean, uh, yeah, he really, I'm sure, took a lot of feedback on board. And it's a huge improvement. I can't imagine even remotely considering playing the original game. Cool. Yeah, yeah. that's actually an interesting. I'm going to do that at some point. I want to <laughs> do a top ten list where I, I don't like the, the latest version of a game. But there's very few that I don't even know if I could come up with ten. Oh, you mean where they should have left it alone? Yeah, like I said, like I actually like the first edition. or I like the second edition instead of the third. Uh, very uh-huh. rare is that the case. Almost always, they have the benefit of playtesting a game and 
feedback and things like that. I've got a few, but you're right. I mean, as a general rule, they shouldn't do it if they aren't improving things. And really, I mean, even when I don't like the new one, I can identify that, well, no, I see why they did what they did, and they probably have made it better for a broader audience, but they've taken something away from me. Like Mansions of Madness 2nd Edition, as an example. Sure. And as the one person who believes that, you're not, <laughs> you're not the one. I'm sure there's, there's many. It's, it's always funny. There's always these things like sometimes where I think it's clear, like, for example, Cosmic Encounter is way superior to, like, the original ones. And yet oh, yeah, there's yeah. always somebody who's like, no way, man. <laughs> like, all right, cool. All right, folks. Well, let's take a look at our mechanism of the week. Yes. And I was curious when I first saw this one. So this is Action Event. Um, and it, the alternate name is Card Driven War Game. And I thought, oh, this might take Rado out of a lot of these games. I think you're going to have to do the lion's share of the heavy lifting here. Yeah. Okay. But this is not always a war game. So in this game, uh, in, in this thing, which is originally was in war games, but they're, it's kind of bleeding out now. You play a card to do one of two things, either an action on the card or it gives you a certain amount of points you can spend. The number one game that's known for this is Twilight Struggle, but it's also in very recent games like um, Water uh, Watergate. Watergate, yeah. So I guess before we start, are, have you played any of these games? I have years? played. I Years ago, I set up Twilight Struggle. I learned the rules. I sat Jen down to the table, and uh, I then gave her the 25-minute spiel. And or I started to because about two thirds of the way through she said, "Yeah, I'm going to stop you right there with a hard no." And it was just <laughs> zero interest. Um, and I was like, "I worked so hard at this," but we did go on subsequently to play 1960, which you know is a, a much sure. more user friendly and you know inviting subject matter, I think. And we actually liked that quite a bit. Interestingly uh, enough, you know, it's one it, of the it was few- really interesting seeing history come alive because we weren't. You know, we weren't born at that point, so we didn't know that much about the Nixon-Kennedy race. Uh, but ultimately, that wasn't a keeper for us either because, you know, as we get older, Jen just gets more and more and more depressed whenever anything related to politics comes up, even if it's a positive thing. Uh, that, you know, it can give you a, a, a good feeling. So that ultimately wasn't a keeper for us. But, you know, that's the interesting thing. Twilight Struggle, 1960. Apparently, the coin games like Labyrinth, Watergate... World War II, Barbosa in Berlin, The Expanse from Jeff Engelstein. These actually, are all, if not war games, certainly head-to-head tug-of-war area control. We are trying to dominate the other. It seems like that's a pretty consistent thing amongst sure. all these games. Well, they're back-and-forth style games. It's yeah, interesting yeah. you said that she liked 1960. Of all the games on this list, that's the one I played with my wife, and she also liked 1960. And I felt better about playing 1960 because unless the person is 80-plus years old – or no, I'm sorry. Unless they're like 70 or 80, they're not going to remember that campaign. Sure, and therefore, sure, sure. it's a little more easy to digest, uh, which is why, for example, if they made a game about 2016, I wouldn't play it with almost anybody. Well, they did. Correct me if I'm wrong. I believe the designer, I don't know if it's on the list here, uh, he, 1960 and made a simplified version of it that was Obama-McCain. It was I 2008, uh, yeah. I believe. Yeah, and I, I, so I played that game. <laughs> I played that game with somebody one time. It was someone who had, they were in the area visiting, so we played it. And they chose one side, I chose the other. It doesn't matter who was playing what. And I got into the rhetoric, right? I was like, whatever, Uh-oh. I'm just going gonna, gonna to play my side. 
and I could tell that made them extremely uncomfortable. So I pulled back real fast. <laughs> I would have I would have done it either side, right? I would have jumped into the rhetoric and stuff, but yeah. that's too real. And so I get it. And so yeah. again, I think this is an amazing mechanism. But you may not want to play a game about the fall of communism. Or, for example, I'm not a huge fan of Labyrinth, the War on Terror because that's a little still too close for home for me. Someone's being the terrorists. Yeah, I don't want to be the terrorist. I can be the I can be the communist in Twilight Struggle because again, that's a little bit more removed from me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So Watergate is a good example of this. This is one I, that you might like. It is a tug-of-war style game, though, so yeah, I'm not it is. sure. It's still an area dominance on that crazy uh, cork board with all the pin tacks on it, right? Yeah. I. It's, it's, it's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm just fast-forwarding, you know, through, because there's like five pages of this, and the vast majority of these are all, I guess, just because this is where this comes from, you know, they, this is a originally a wargaming mechanism, they all seem to be about vying for dominance of a board. Well, there is. And I'm wondering, this mechanism, which is so cool. I mean, for players who don't know, I've got some cards. Which one am I going to play? You either generally play, according to the description, for you get X number of action points that you can spend to move pieces around or, or you know gather resources or whatever, or you do the event. But the trick to this is, if you choose to do the action points, your opponent gets to do the event, Right. And sure. I know in 1960 and in uh, you know Twilight Struggle, these events are thematically tied. That um, you know it, it might be an event that really benefits me, but I really need those action points right now. But um, I'll take the action points because I know you don't particularly care that much about this particular event because it doesn't benefit you as much as me. That's really cool. There's lots of game within game within game stuff there, and why? Why isn't there an Agricola-style game that uses this? It would totally work in a traditional economic, gather your resources, um, you know, convert goods into victory points kind of game. Well, there is a... It, I'm, I'm looking here. One of the modules for Glenmore 2 has it. That's a uh, lie. That is a dirty lie. I have this module right here. Oh. This is one of the only modules I played with the new Glenmore uh, 2 reprint. And somebody did not understand. Yes, there are a deck of cards, but in this case, you just draw a card and do what it says. There's no choice or anything. Oh, and so I that's just started, events then. I scanned through all these cards. I thought maybe there'd be one of them in here, but there is not. Although there is a very cute Loch Ness monster in here. I really like Glenn Moore, so I was hoping, I was really hoping that that would be one of them. Yeah, as I, I, look, through, I look through these games, a lot of the games on this haven't come out yet. There's a lot of games here from 2020, 2021. Okay. Oh, Wolfenstein's on the list again. I think whoever uh, yeah, put that, that one that in just checked. is all mechanisms to all players. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think we can both agree that even though I, I don't mind the war game history thing of it, that if yeah. they did come out with a Euro game that used this to some degree, I would enjoy it. I I, I never did get around to playing Expanse. I don't know if that one is, is better in that yes. regard. Well, it was you have by, not. You do not have a copy of every Jeff Engelstein game on your shelf, ready to play at any moment. Well, oh no. Okay, all right. I have several <laughs> of Jeff Engelstein's games in the library, but not all, all right. of them. But there's very few designers I would put all their games in the library. Yeah. So it's too bad because I love Expanse, the TV show. I've never read the books, so I suspect I'd really be drawn to the subject matter. But again, it is at the end of the day. 
another Titanic twilightish type struggle for dominance over a board. And it's like, ah, this, this mechanism is so primed to do so many amazing things. It's so simple and elegant and just the, the epitome of tension. Whatever I play, I'm giving you something unless I take it for myself. Um, but then I'm not getting the main job done. It's so cool. I've been waiting years for a nice euro. But hopefully one of these ones that's coming up that we've never heard of will deliver. Yeah, I agree. So that is Action Event. Yes. It's, let's go to top five. All right. All right, folks. We're doing the top five. Uh, well, what, what you pick. So give us some topics. Today we're taking non-board game topics. Uh, maybe. Okay. Unless we suddenly unless get. Unless a really good one, I suppose. Right, right. So then I, I, I'll pick four of them. And then Ryder will pick one of those, and then we will do a top five where we will have to agree on the five, or at least compromise on the five, mm-hmm. which therefore mm-hmm. makes it the definitive coast-to-coast, corner-to-corner top five list. Yep. Okay. Unassailable. Our wisdom will be on display here. Although I'm, I'm a horribly mortified. Right when we last, last earlier this week, we had uh, Polyomino Games, and right there on my shelf is probably my number one. Right there, Miyabi. And I totally slipped. It's like right there. It is so fantastic. I yeah, that's actually one I haven't played. So oh, you should. Um, it's it's a great family game. I think your I mean your your brood at home will have a great time if you've got a copy of it. You got to try it. I mean, this is Haba at their best. I think. All right, I got them. Here we go. Oh wow, that's fast. Boom, well, boom, I'm boom. a fast writer. All right, top five. Okay. Time travel movies. Top five pizza toppings. Oh. Top five 80s cartoons. Oh. Or top five your go-to old movies. And there's no definition of old? No, we would have to make that up. Yeah. Um, I'm, so, I, I, I'm sorry. I, those are all great. My apologies, everybody, but 80s cartoons. Not even for me. Uh, born in April of 69, about to turn 51. Man, I mean, if you had done 70s cartoons, that would be even better. But I'm still very happy to dock 80s cartoons. You get into 90s cartoons, you lose me. But because um, I was oh, in college by then. Batman Superman was quite good from the 80s. All right, so I'm going to – I'm just going to start going I, – I, I did a search here on the internet so we don't miss stuff. Um, <laughs> like Hanabi. Yeah. I will do the same. 80s. Oh, wait. I, 80s. Cartoons. Back when you, it was still destination viewing, when you got up early on Saturday morning, because that's when you know ninety percent of all your TV of the week, and my and your parents were still asleep. So what my brother and I did, uh, you know, we made ourselves breakfast. What was our breakfast? Uh, cinnamon sugar toast, over and over and over again. Eat an entire loaf of the stuff, drowning in sugar and cinnamon, as we watched. Oh man! Well, you know what? Um, you. Dare not? Oh no, no! I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm not going to leave with the most important Saturday morning cartoon of all time. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna let you get your vetoes out of the way. Okay. There is one above all. Hang on, hang on. Let me quick. I'm, I'm, I'm quick writing down, um, but the ones I like the best, and then that way, if you say it, I'm already on it. Okay. I, okay. I, I'm, I'm almost well, done. No, I know this one. I think, unfortunately, it's a lesser known one. It's it's not one of the crowd pleasers, unfortunately. And by the way, of course, this doesn't have to be limited to Saturday morning. Although, 
uh, you're, you're, you're not a, you weren't a real kid in the 80s if you weren't primarily focused on Saturday morning. But yeah, there's, there's lots of good after school stuff as well at the time. Uh, yeah, I actually, a very strong one on the list there. I only have four that I feel strongly about, so we'll see. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. <sighs> well, I, all I can think of is the one that's the most important cartoon. Then no, say no, no. It. I've got another one. I've got another one. Um, Dungeons and Dragons. It's so garbagey. I, I, you I, shut your mouth. I, I'm you shut sorry. your mouth. I, I was cannot. so into that show as a kid. I actually wrote a spec script for it. I don't. But I never got around that, to actually but... sending it in to see if. It, but it was. I love that show to pieces. I didn't see it as a kid, unfortunately. I know that almost all the cartoons that we're talking about here have not aged well, including of some course, of the ones yes, I yeah, like. But in context, there. Since that I've has only become... seen it as an adult, I cannot. I cannot. Pick, I cannot. I'll have to say no to that. What? There's, you there's are a lot. We will agree on God. five. Glad I saved the really important one. You what are beat going Dungeons & Dragons. I, I think you've probably already lost the crowd. Well, no, I think that there's a lot of people back and forth. Um, all righty. Well, give me all the right, one well, that you really Whatever like. you have, I'm just going to spite veto it. Oh, so then let's I'm just go. Gonna, I'm just going to throw some garbage out there then. Until I probably you... shouldn't have led with that, huh? <laughs> right, I'll wow. start from... D&D! I'll, is it really that bad? I have to admit, I, I don't think I have seen it since I was a kid. But um, what I really loved about that show, I loved Eric. I think he was either was he a paladin or was he a cavalier? I think he was cavalier uh, because everybody hated him and he was kind of a jerk. But I always thought he was just misunderstood and he was the backbone of the – and my the spec script I wrote was they were lost in a maze and they'd all been possessed except for Eric. So Eric had to single-handedly, one-on-one, take down every single one of them to prove that he was the best. It was the most ridiculous bit of fan fiction you can imagine. But, yeah. <laughs> the comments are pretty split here. <laughs> okay. uh, half the people are really loving D&D, and the other half are saying it's garbage. So, All right, well, what got, do you got, Mark Guy? All right, I'll throw the first one at you as a cartoon I liked a lot, even though it frustrated me um, that it never seemed to finish. But, ooh, I forgot about that cartoon. Hang on. Uh, but I'm going to say this one while I'm thinking about it. Um, that's Inspector Gadget. Oh sure, 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 sure. Yeah, really? I loved. I was I not loved expecting Gadget, any. And what was the dog's name? I want to say Mouth, but that's not it. I was going to say Ralph. What's the dog's name? What is the stupid dog's name? This is very important. <laughs> it's this Penny. Childhood. It's Penny, Inspector Gadget, and the dog who actually did everything. Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm looking. Brain, of course, Brain. Yes, yeah, okay. he was the brains. All right. Yeah. Um, no. I, 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 even if I wanted to spite you, I can't. That um, I, I probably would have come around to that. That was so wonderful. Um, what do you think about the? It was so common to just throw the kid in so that we have our gateway in. Like as kids, we want to. We fantasize about being adults. Why do you think we fantasize about being other kids? You don't have to, you know, throw us a bone. I've never. I was always that frustrated. By, I love the cartoon, but I was frustrated that Inspector Gadget was so dumb. I was like, come on, at a certain point. And it also bugged me that they never got the bad guy. You know, they got his henchmen and stuff, but they never got him, Dr. Claw. Yeah. Well, you suggested, are you backing off? No, 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 no. I like it a lot. I love the cartoon. I'm just saying as a kid, that frustrated me. All right, give me another one. And, you know, from the the voice work, because, you know, from the 70s, I had watched tons and tons of reruns of Get Smart. 
So, you know, having, oh, what's his name? Don something or other, the actor who played Maxwell Smart coming back and playing a similar kind of a send up of what was already a send up of James Bond. Yeah, I, I, I loved it. Yeah, Inspector Gadget. Da, 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 boop, boop. Oh, yeah, that's true. Also, one of the go, best. Go, Gadget, go. One of the best music openings, too. Uh, loved it. Yep, yep, yep. Not as much as the movie. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, well, we have one, and I, I think that is unassailable. I right, throw out your oh. All right. Well, you already broke my heart with D and D, so I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm really delicate here, Tom. I'm, I'm bearing my heart and soul to you. <laughs> the greatest, by far, Saturday morning cartoon in history is Thundar the Barbarian. I've never seen you- it. Okay, then you have not a leg to stand on. Let me tell you why it's so amazing. Um, of course. It doesn't. I have gone back and watched episodes as an adult, and yes, it's a little cheesy, but the insane amount of imagination that was on display from that show. This was a. I, I could still do the entire intro from memory. The year 1994. From outer space comes a runaway planet hurtling between the Earth and the Moon, unleashing cosmic destruction. Two thousand years later, Earth is reborn. A strange new world rises from the old. A world of savagery, super science, and sorcery. But one man bursts his bond to fight for justice with his companions, Ukla the Mock and Princess Ariel. He pits his strength, his courage, and his fabulous sun sword against the forces of evil. He is Thundar the Barbarian! Aw, oh, man. I, I, I got goosebumps. Was he, um, was he, was he cousins of He-Man? I feel he like... Was, uh, Yo, he, most people, I mean, if you, uh, I, I, He-Man, I would veto a million times. He I was didn't a say He-Man. Guy. He was kind of dumb. He had the smart um, sidekick, Princess Ariel. He had a Wookiee sidekick, basically. And uh, they went around and had adventures in post-apocalypse America. And every week, oh, now we're in, what, the ruins of San Francisco or Las Vegas or Washington, D.C. They really got around. But um, seeing our world, I mean, you know, I guess prior to that, I was kind of familiar with Logan's Run, which had some of those ideas and maybe Planet of the Earth, but an entire show about that. And it was the creative people behind it were some of the greatest comic book artists in history. You know, Jack Kirby and and a bunch of others. So the character designs were great. The imagination was great. Um, It's... It's so, it's such a rich world, so much to explore. I loved it to pieces. Don't you dare break my heart. This guy looks like He Man. Yes. Uh, I'm putting this down as a. a, First, He Man copies Thundar, but nobody remembers. Because uh, I think I think Thundar got two seasons on Saturday morning, whereas He Man was an after-school show that everybody watched at three o'clock when they got home. Um, plus, He Man, of course, was just an excuse to sell the the action figures. Hey, we got these action figures. They're reared and they're kind of bow-legged. Well, Let's to make be a fair, out a good ninety percent of the cartoons that were done were to sell the action figures. All right. I, well, there's another um, advantage. The- uh, Thundar. Thundar was not a marketing ploy. Thundar was the work of brilliant comic creators, um, you know, with their imaginations and a, and a uh, huge budget no, at the time. There's no money on the line here. I, I'm putting this down as a maybe for now. Okay. <sighs> All right. Now look, I, we'll see. All right. All right. So here's my more obscure pick from the 80s, yeah. and that is it, I, it, different titles depending on where it came from. I think it's just a French-Japanese uh, um, pick, and that's the, – the title I have is The Mysterious Cities of Gold. I have never heard of that. Ah, okay. The Seven Cities of Gold. Ah, anyway, great. So basically it's about some kids and some – People, they basically get, uh, 
They go through this long thing. They're looking for the seven cities of gold, and they find it, but there's technology involved. There's It's a, it's like a serialized cartoon. It's not like an episode of the day. It's oh, this really? whole long story. Yes, and it's 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 really good. But since you haven't heard of it, that's fine. I just thought I would mention it. So here's the Okay, one yeah, I, you're, you're, yeah, you're just trying to get, earn some street cred there. I'm not trying to earn street cred. I'm talking about what I really <laughs> like. Let me throw out no, the so one, I though. I, I, yeah, I don't. I mean, and, and I was such a cartoon junkie. I'm surprised I never heard of it. I feel like this one is unassailable because you have to. This one, no, it just you have to say it's not a Saturday morning. No, this is the afternoon, specifically the Disney afternoon, and that's Ducktales. Is is Ducktales '80s? Because if so, yes. I did. I looked up Ducktales. It started in '80 something, and it, the last episode was in '90. So that's clearly okay, an '80s yes, cartoon. Totally. Okay. Ducktales. Woo. Uh, have you and seen the also, new one? The new one's one of the not greatest bad. NES games. Now I want to retroactively go back to our top ten NES. And oh no, that was Rescue Rangers. Rescue Rangers was phenomenal. I actually, I could, I think you could make a strong argument that the Disney Afternoon could be the top five right there. But um, that maybe you should just say the Disney Afternoon then. Wow, Ducktales I felt was the strongest. I, I personally am Ducktales, Tailspin, um, and then after that I kind of liked them all the same. I wasn't as was big Gargoyles a fan. Part of that? No, Gargoyles is a different one. Is that not, is that later in nineties? That's when you get into Batman and Time Zone. Uh, let me look up Gargoyles. Uh, oh, I should probably put in Gargoyles cartoon. That's a lot of statue gargoyles that just showed up. Um, so Gargoyles was ninety four to ninety seven. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Too late. Too late. We, we can do a nineties cartoon thing here. Um. Yeah, all all I'd have to be the DC stuff because that's you know by the time I went to college that it was the only as an adult. You gave me Ducktales, so I'll give you Thundar. That way I don't hear about that. Yes. All right, that's three. We need two more. All right, got another one. Um, should we talk about Smurfs? (sighs) Here's the here. I mean. Gosh, it was like a 90-minute show, as I recall, and you know, with, with like little 15, 20-minute episodes, there was, it was a ton of content. There's one thing that's very important to me about Smurfs. Again, from my own perspective, as, as a developing young human, that was the first time I ever recognized, wow, some of these episodes or some of these scenes inside some of these episodes look so fantastic, and then the rest of them look really wooden. And I'd never paid attention or noticed. the. I, I had no concept of the idea of animation quality. There was somebody working on Smurfs in Korea, I imagine, who should have been working at Disney. because you know, And I would just watch the show waiting for those brief moments where suddenly there was this incredible, lovely, fluid motion. And I didn't even understand why I was responding so strongly to it. So I don't think I could give it to Smurfs, but I just wanted to throw that out there because that was like a really big deal for me. It was like one of the first times I ever thought about the production of something and, sure, and the quality of something. That's interesting. I'm just not convinced it's uh, top five. I don't know. All right, well, I'm then I'll throw out G.I. Joe, a real American hero. Okay, G.I. Yes. Joe is there. He's on my list. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. I will say, I, though. I, we were not getting out of here without G.I. Joe. Straight um, up. Straight up. I love G.I. Joe. I loved it. I like the toys. I like the, the, the things. I like the storylines, the comics. And other than the comics, I've gone back and watched G.I. Joe, and I was like, huh. Well, what do you know? It is well, here's not the question. We have, to ask, we, have to, we have to make the tough call, Tom. G.I. Joe or Transformers? That's a, that, that's a tough call. I have them both written down here. Um, but I don't think we're being, being fair to the decade if we give it to both of them. No, I think G.I. Joe's better. I, I like the stories better, especially once they did 
Although the Transformers movie is amazing. Um, oh, the, the, yeah, with uh, with and Wells. Yeah, I mean, you got to admit they the you got risks, touch. the you risks got they did with that movie where they killed characters. That was like something that that's one thing about you watched all these cartoons. Almost no one ever yeah. died, and the Transformers movie killed not only some characters it killed major characters yep it was it was mind-blowing i don't know when that movie came out though i'm pretty sure it must have still uh, been late oh it was actually 86 i believe there you go yeah yeah although i i, I you know do, do you I, I i'm inclined not to give them the nod for scarring an entire generation of children for the salt i mean they, they were not doing it from an artistic perspective you can go back and watch the interviews yeah we had a new line of toys and That's we true. were just no, trying I to I kill the characters that. to sell these new toys. <laughs> and yeah, I agree. Psyche, what? Wait, they're just they're kids. They're just toys. Nobody cares. We just got to sell some toys. <laughs> I, mean, I love that the, the the cruel business background of that. I'd still I'd have to go with GI Joe. Uh, honestly, because knowing is half the battle. And and I do honestly, say that all the time. I, I and I yeah you know, I mean obviously that's a cultural touchstone for us, but. Good on them for actually doing that and for, you know, trying to teach lessons and morals and stuff like that in a very ham-fisted way, in a way that actually sticks with us to this day. So I would probably go G.I. Joe or Transformers. All right. Well, then we'll go with G.I. Joe. All right. So here's another one right. I got for you. Yeah. This is one that's yeah. not on the top lists. And again, this one was specifically made for toys. So to keep that in mind, but I love the show Mask. Oh, the, 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 the tie into the feature film with Jim Carrey? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, then you haven't seen this if you don't know what I'm talking about. Mask was they had these amazing real vehicles that would turn into – they put a mask on and then the vehicle would turn into a weaponized version of that vehicle. And they were hunting all kinds of stuff. I believe they found a Cities of Gold in one episode too. Um, but if you don't know what that is, that's no, no worry. But that's a great no. – all right. Let me here's, a, here's another one that's hugely important to me, although it's a kind of getting in on a technicality. Uh, Star Blazers. I just is, looked it up. Star Blazers came seen. to America in seventy. It was in. It was available in Japan since seventy four. So it's come and gone. But it came in America in seventy nine and ran through the eighties. And certainly for me, it was an eighties cartoon. And geez, Louise, talk about an important milestone, influential cartoon. I, I think technically we'll have to say that's a 70s cartoon then, though. You're, it's 79. Come on, man. Well, 79 I mean, when it came to America. You would never apply that if it were a board game. I also didn't see it, so there's that, too. I already gave you <laughs> Thunder Barbarian. All right, what about... Uh, you did the, give me... I mean, hey, I, you know, anything else is gravy after Thunder, quite frankly. What about the real Ghostbusters? Uh, you know what? I, I think... Uh, that was late 80s, wasn't it? And I, I'm familiar with it where it's like a whole bunch of new characters or it's the same characters but they look different because they couldn't get the rights to Bill Murray and stuff like that. Was that good? I don't know. I, 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 I certainly never watched it. So I don't well, have was, a strong There was two cartoons it. at the same time. Um, what about uh, – I have to see when the, the cartoon was exactly. Uh, TMNT. I was just going to say that's the elephant in the, in the room the, or the closet or whatever. It's a weird um, one, though, because the first episode was December 14th, 1987, but it ran all the way up through 96. So wow. I think that's a 90s cartoon then. 
You, you, you want, if you want to do that, I mean, my problem with TMNT, I wouldn't veto it if you wanted to bring it up because I do think it's an important milestone. And I mean, I was aware of it. I, I, I said cowabunga before Bart said it. I get it. It's fine. But um, I, in the 80s, uh, every week I went to a comic book store. My parents put me on the ferry so I could go uh, across the channel from Bremerton to Seattle, Washington, walk all the way to the Pike Place Market by myself. It was so cool. My parents let me do this. It was a different time. And I got to spend my weekly money I made on comics. And I had an original first edition of the first four uh, issues, or the first two issues, I think, of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And so when I saw the cartoon and it wasn't serious and gritty and dark, of course, I didn't realize at the time that it was all a parody of Dark Knight and whatnot. But um, I mean, I, I, I dismissed Teenage Mutant because, oh, that's not the real TMNT or the robot that was on the run. That was a, a spinoff. So, yeah, I, 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 I would almost if you want to suggest it, I think I might veto it just because. Oh. Fine. It's so silly well, to say it's spat on the comic well, book that I the love. Elephant. Here's the elephant in the room that people have already mentioned right. in chat. And this cartoon was out from 85 to 88, and you have yeah. uh, self-described yourself as it all the time. Uh-oh. What? Care Bears. <laughs> okay, now, now listen. You're laughing, right? And I, as a, as a you know, oh, I want to watch you know, J.J. Transformers. My sister watched Care Bears, and I thought it was pretty stupid, except I did watch it all and enjoy it. Um, I just never told anybody. That's a good point. We have a very myopic perspective as a that's couple fine. of dudes. Why? I mean, that's okay. That's, that's a good what, point. I mean, it's our list, but I thought, I mean, Care Bears was pretty influential. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Um, ah, you know, are, is, is that your nomination? Well, if you say no. you veto that? Well, you can veto it. I, I would. If, otherwise, I'm going to go back to Transformers because so we both agreed on I, that anyway. I, I, you know what? Hey, honestly, I'll give it to Care Bears. I won't veto right. that. Because I really do feel like, I mean, Care Bears to me is like the Smurfs and Snorks and, you know, they're... Uh, oh, wait, wait! Muppet freaking Babies! Alright. I agree. Muppet Babies. Muppet Babies. Sorry. There we go. Care Bears almost had it. Yep. Yeah, it was close. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Our list is Muppet Babies, Shoot. Thundar the Barbarian, Inspector yes. Gadget, G.I. Joe, and DuckTales. Woohoo. I am happy with that. That's a great list. I think that one, we joke about it, but I think that could stand the test of time. Well, four of them anyway. All right, well, let's, uh, oh. let's go to questions. We got more time today for Demon questions. Demon Dogs! Ariel Ukla, right! Sorry, so many catchphrases. Answer time, right? Okay. It is question and answer time. And, uh, folks, so if you ask questions here, we'll take them. Of course, now someone's asking if Muppet Babies is 90. Oh, yes, that's, uh, I hope so. It had to be, though. I was a kid. Muppet Babies uh, cartoon. I mean, I, I know it got rebooted, and it, there's a new modern version of it, but the original one was 1984 now, TV series. 84 to 91. That's clearly 80s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, I mean, it, it defines cartoons in the '80s. It really does. You know, I mean, uh, Warner Brothers copied them years later with WB Kids and all the, you know. Oh, that, Matthew Barker important. says worst list ever. Woo. What? That's harsh criticism. Harsh, harsh. Well, I I, I stand corrected. 
<laughs> we'll redo it all now. All right. Um, all right. Here's this. So Avatar says, right. Tom, you designed and co-designed a game. Will you ever go back to doing that? Rada, you developed video games for many years. Have you ever considered doing the same with board games? I get asked this so often. It is, oh, is an it, answer is on, on FAQ? my FAQ. I did not which know that. Which you can that. go Sorry. to FAQ.rado.com. Uh, but to summarize, I'll let Tom answer after. Um, no. The thing is, I did spend 20 years, almost 20 years, making video games. And to a large part, it kind of ruined video games for me. Uh, I can't play a video game without thinking about how the sausage is made and evaluating it and um, you know, just trying to get another. I mean, it's just I'm trained to do it now. And I, it, it just burned me out. And I do not want that to happen with board games because board games is literally the greatest thing from a pop culture perspective that's ever happened to me. And, you know, it's so important to me and my wife that we can share this. And I am very precious about that. The number one fear I have about doing Rotto Runs Through is that it could lead to a similar burnout. And sure. if it ever, if I ever get a whiff of that from her or from me, the show is over that day. Or at least taking a nice six-month hiatus or something like that. Uh, so, no, I, I... Although, I kind of now want to make... Uh, what was it? What's the... the uh, that action... I want to make a game out of that. Because why isn't there a Euro for that? I now know what game I would make if I were to make one, though. Because nobody's used that mechanism I designed properly. one while you made that sentence. Okay, anyhow. Um, <laughs> I have a game, actually, that I worked on. Showed publishers. Was offered it to be published. And I said no... Because I felt like every offer was because my name was Tom Vassell. Uh, and you didn't think they would necessarily take it and, and, and sculpt it and, and mold it and, and really try to... It was... If Eric Lang and, and Come On said yes, and you knew Eric was going to become a, a partner with you, because that's what he does as a creative director, would you be eh, interested? I don't know. Uh, it was like a seven at best, and I'm not happy with that, so... I, I'm all You've mentioned it. this several times. I've heard you talk about this. Give us a synopsis. Give us the elevator pitch. What is this game? It was a game in which you you uh, rolled some dice in front of you each turn, and the dice yeah. had different sides. They weren't one through six. Okay. And then you used these dice to bid on either point cards that gave you points or on cards that gave you special abilities like more dice or a die with different sides. Okay. Um, or a bonus to you winning bids on something else in the future. That's the basic oh. uh, outline. And like everybody a, could see the card. So it was it was kind of like a, a Raw-style auction where, okay, I know we both really want that, and I can see what you can bid. So do I try to bid you up on that, or do I go for other stuff? I mean, that was like the interplay between sure, players. Sure, but, but what I had was I had some interesting things in the cards. There were six cards, and they were put out in that, that you were bidding on each round. And yeah. you put them out one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, like in a little grid. So okay. one of the special abilities you could get is when you were bidding, you could put a chip between two cards and bid on both those cards. Ah. So I thought that was a cool idea. Um, I do think that's a cool idea. There was also dice that you could you could get like two more dice, but they had no side. There was nothing on each side. You used them for bidding, but they didn't give you any bonuses. Each side would have a picture on it, and that picture would help you would be worth more when bidding on a specific card. Mm -hmm. So you, you, it kind of pushed you to bid on that card, but you didn't have to. Anyway, uh, I didn't really have a good theme for it, so we'll see. Yeah. That doesn't sound bad I, at all. I mean, I th that sounds definitely interesting and uh, unique. No, until I appreciate now somebody that. Steals it. Well, if someone steals it, that's fine. Um, <laughs> Sebastian DeVries says, what's your best comfort food for the coming weekend? 
Um, you go first. You're the food guy. Oh, well, for me, it's the same. Here's what happened. So my church, we scheduled a ice cream sundae. You know, we were oh. going to do this big ice cream sundae get-together. <clears throat> and I said, folks, I got the toppings. Don't worry about it. I got them. So I went to Amazon. I went to stores. I got like two-pound bags of – I have chocolate chips and cinnamon chips and white chocolate chips and caramel chips and peanut butter chips and, and Nestle's – I mean I got like 50 different toppings. I got them all, and the very next day we were like, you know what? We're going to shut down all extraterrestrial <laughs> events. This was at the very beginning. Yeah. And I was like, all right, no worries. It's just toppings. Fortunately, I didn't, I didn't buy the ice cream, just the toppings. <laughs> and then I was like, well, what are we going to do with this? So each Saturday now for the past four Saturdays, we've had oh, wow. Sunday night at the Vassals. And at the rate we're going through these toppings, we got possibly a year and a half worth. So <laughs> that's Tom, what... <laughs> what happened to you? I remember you and Jason a couple of years ago. Yeah! Making a blood pact. This was the question that was asked, though. It's because you you check out Jason Levine now. He is a he is a sculpted machine. He's looking great. Yes, I'm not arguing that. I'm having a hard time getting my walking in right now, too. That's Um, a fair yeah, definitely. Um, Yesterday, my wife said you could run up and down the steps. I was like, "Uh, I don't want to. You know what I've done? Um, Well. my, my comfort food always and all always has been always will be ice cream. I love ice cream above all else. If there's one thing I can eat for the rest of my life, it's ice cream. Unfortunate that it's just nothing but sugar. And uh, you know, hey, I'm 51. I'm about to be 51. I really need to take better care of my health. And so I have been taking this self-imposed quarantine as an opportunity to wean myself because. You know, my mom, who lives with us, if she feels like, I really want a Mountain Dew, like, no problem, Mom, I'll just run right down to the store. It's two minutes away. I'll bring you back a Mountain Dew, and I'll get some ice cream for myself, too. And uh, since we have moved back to the States, in Malta, it was much harder to get comfort foods. I mean, we really had to go out of our way to get stuff, and it was crazy expensive, um, the food we really liked. So I kept my weight, you know, around 205. I've been at almost 220 now for ever since I moved back to the States, and I'm really working hard. So my comfort food is denied me. Um, and so what do I take solace in? Jen actually still makes a brilliant dessert that's pretty much incredibly low carb. Uh, there are fields nearby us where every year there's just tons of blackberries, an insane amount of blackberries. It's, it's, it's almost obscene how many blackberries are just there for the picking. And so we pick like a year's worth of the stuff and freeze them. And so Jen has been pulling those blackberries out, plus throwing blackberries, blueberries, coconut shavings, um, whole whipping cream, and just, just the tiniest bit of sugar and cinnamon. And she uh, cooks it up into like a nice warm compote. And oh, that's good stuff. I don't think it would be as good... If I was still having ice cream, because my taste buds would be essential, would be calibrated towards that. But now that I'm off the sugar, that little hit that we have most evenings is excellent. Was that too much Alrighty. information? That was that was way too much information, actually. But uh... <laughs> okay. Speaking about exercise, though, Tom, you know what I'm doing for the first time in my life child or adult life, I'm actually enjoying exercise. Do you know why? I got an Oculus Quest, a VR headset, 
Yeah. And, um, you know, there, there are a bunch of Dance Dance Revolution style rhythm games that are available on there. Sure. And there's one that you can play totally for free. You just go, you put on your headset, you go, you point the interior browser to moonrider.xyz, and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs that they that people have just made beat maps for. And when I start playing that thing, I will work up such a sweat. And when I'm done, almost 50, 60 minutes has passed, and I didn't even realize how much time has passed. And so I've been doing that, and like I said, for the first time in my life, I actually enjoy exercise, and it's really showing results. So... You got a house full of kids, uh, I, and you only have so many switches to go around. I hear that is and, the, that is the problem uh, finding a space to do anything. Actually, yeah, yep. Uh, all right, let's let's get off shaming me. Uh, let's jump to. Uh, <laughs> I hope you didn't take it that way. I was, just, Monica. I was just trying to give you some positive feedback loop stuff to kick you back into gear. It was, but that's the thing. I was like, I was on point. I was so oh, I on point. And then we got stuck at home, and I was like, you know what? For the next few weeks, I'm just not going to care. A few weeks yep. has stretched out longer than I had anticipated. That's all. There you go. All right. Monica says, how far are you willing to go to get a Holy Grail-type game in your collection? I got, uh, for those uh, a rare, a difficult, how far are you willing to go? Not very. Um, one, because of my circumstance, I don't really have that many Holy Grails. But, I mean, if, if I try to rewind backwards to when you know publishers didn't send me games so that i could cover them gosh you know what i don't think i had many holy grail games but i often had holy grail promos you know that would just pop up at gen con or whatever and i didn't have a chance to get them and that was the only way to get them i here's how far i went for a time, I was such a crazy completionist. I had to have everything. And living in Malta, it was impossible to get promos. And yet, at the same time, I had tons of promos that I would pick up every year at Essen. I started the uh, yearly Board Game Geek promo math trade. Wait a and minute. I a thought while, that was altruistic. Oh, no, 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 no. I was. <laughs> I got against the wall. And the nice thing. Okay, I'm, I'm, long, I'm long past. I no longer run this. It's been handed off to somebody else for a while. It was the number one uh, math trade you know, ever, every year. I'm not... We, after you, all the stuff comes in, of course, you have to run the application and you have to type in like random seeds to randomize it a little bit. I might have occasionally, hey, let's just type in a different random seed and run it again. Oh, hey, I like that, I like that trade better. Everybody's still got their stuff. It's just, it was a random seed. And sometimes, oh, I didn't like that 20 I rolled. Maybe I should roll a 17. That's how far I would go to ever answer to Monica. <laughs> All right. Well, good. <laughs> Do you have anything as bad as that, Tom? There's nothing I could say now. That I, that's, no, actually, I'm, I'm kind of with Rattle. I don't really. Back in the day, I really would hunt down a game. And I, and I, I remember when I first won it, Cosmic Encounter. I won it. Cosmic Encounter, and I got more Cosmic Encounter, which from Mayfair, but Cosmic Encounter was pretty expensive, and it was like running for 150, 200. I just couldn't do that. I eventually got it in a trade, but I remember many times I would hover over the price on like eBay and be like, "Tom, you cannot afford this." I was much poorer back then. I I couldn't afford almost anything, and I was like, Argh! "So, how far am I willing to go to get a Holy Grail type today?" Very little. I, I, I look at it and go, yep. you know what? I don't need it. Back then, I was much more foolish to the point where if I really would want a game, I would consider buying it like on credit, you know, using a credit card to get it and, you know, putting it off. And that's a bad idea. 
So I'm glad that I've grown up in that regard. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm the same way. I mean, I, I was so crazy about them. And at some point I realized, one, I'm never going to get them all. And two, without exception, they don't make that much of a difference. <laughs> I mean, they are afterthoughts. They were, or ideas they had in development. They, okay, let's just kill this. It's not working in the game. But what the heck? We need some promos. Let's bring this back. I mean, that's what these things are. They're just not worth chasing after. Or corrupting your soul, as some people might have done. Yes. Um, <laughs> if you were a wrestler, what theme song would you use for your entrance? Ah. <laughs> the, first, the first thing that popped in my head is the uh, the title theme song from Greatest American Hero. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. I would pick the, uh, the fight music at the very beginning of Kill Bill, oh. Volume 1, where she's walking into the riding her her motorcycle up to go fight the crazy 88 the yeah 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 the and then i would trip every time i would come in and then i would trip just so that i don't want people to think i'm taking it too seriously uh if you could go anywhere in the world that you haven't been before where would you go oh uh new zealand hands down Ooh, that's a good or, no, oh, New Ze- either New Zealand or someplace that could 100% guarantee that while we're there, we get to experience the Aurora Borealis. We have so wanted to see that for so long, but we're just afraid that we'll get up there and, oh, sorry, you know what? Sometimes it just doesn't show up, and yet we're here for a week, and you didn't get to see it, and we go home. So we've never actually taken steps to do it. I saw just a smidgen piece of it when I was in Iceland the one night. And yeah. just and just that much, it was a cold night. Walking, I was outside by myself, most just walking. It was very impressive, even just that. Yeah, you know, uh, I would like to go if I could go anywhere in the world. You know, we get crazy. I like to go to some of these really hard to get to cool things, like you know, some of the wonders of the world that are in more oh. out of the way places, like you know, some of these temples that are off in these mountains. That are hard to get to, or the giant Buddha statue that you know you have to go up a mountain to see. That sort of thing would be neat. I would, yeah. I would like to be transported in and transported out. Um, but <laughs> to travel, I've always wanted to go to Moscow for some reason. Just oh. Russia in general, New Zealand and Australia are high on my list too, though. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, uh, I mean, just to be able to go visit Hobbiton since they. They, I mean, I guess they tore down the sets from the original trilogy, but then when they did the Hobbit trilogy, they had the, oh, hey, let's not tear this down again because people will pay a lot of money to come here. Josh, but yeah, I mean, just, actually, New Zealand is more a place I'd like to live, I think, rather uh, than just visit. Well, I'm hes- I mean, I could live anywhere, I think. Yes. Yeah. You just enjoy where you're at. Yep. Josh, is, are you ever surprised by the lack of new themes in board games or, more importantly, the need to slap on old themes on games that had no theme? <clears throat> I actually am thinking like over the past couple of years that companies are getting better putting themes on games. I thought mm-hmm. I'm starting to see some really interesting themes. I, I, yeah, I think there always are interesting themes, but I mean, this is your bailiwick. I'm, I'm happy with tired old themes. I love classic Tolkien fantasy and I love being a uh, middle manager in Renaissance era, Italy. <laughs> so sure. As far as I'm concerned, I disagree on that, but I, at the same time, even for someone who wants new and unique themes, I think that we we are seeing that. 
Like, uh, yeah. what's the game that, the yarn game that was just kickstarted? Um, about, about spools of yarn, you know, and that was something that we haven't seen before. Um, there's a lot of games about bees right now. If you like bees, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, bees having their moment in the sun. Look at Isle of Cats. That no one ever did a theme like that before. So I mean, there's just a lot of stuff like that. I think. Yeah. Um. Let's see here. I'm jumping down. There's a lot of people talking about buying toilet paper. Um. <laughs> running up steps is bad for knees. I know. Um, <laughs> sugar-free ice cream is a thing. The toppings I have not quite sugar-free. <laughs> um, man, favorite series to binge watch? Well, I I am about. Yeah, Rado just reminded me. I'm going to binge watch over the next week. I think. Maybe. Oh, no, the Barbarian. No, exp- the Expanse that you mentioned. I still haven't oh, seen gosh, that. Yes. I heard it's I heard it's quite good. I just binge watched this past week the the Tiger King. Oh, did you? <laughs> I did have you? to say I would have thought if this had not been a documentary and you told me this was the plot for a TV series, I would have said this that's not realistic. That's all made up. Exactly, yeah. Every person in this show is fairly despicable. They're all insane caricatures, and they're all very happy to talk to the camera and tell the camera their darkest secrets. It's it's mind-boggling how open <laughs> everybody is in this thing. And when you think it can't get crazier, it does. It's, it is just insane, and I can't say I'm a better person for having watched it, but I feel <laughs> better ah, thank about— Thank you for saying that. I feel better about myself. I mean, if, if you are ever thinking like, I'm a piece of garbage, watch this show and you won't feel that way anymore. Well, the audience um, was kind of making me feel that way for my earlier uh, promo admission. So maybe I need to get a little bit of that in my life right now. I wouldn't have admitted that there, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, here's a good um, one. Uh, so uh, I, Actually, I, I'm glad you mentioned Expanse. That would probably be high on my list. And it's all available on Amazon Prime now. And it's it's fantastic. It is definitely such a dense show. Um, I have to admit, personally, I'm not a fan of binge-watching. I would much rather just let it sit with me for a week. I strongly believe that if Netflix had aired um, Game of Thrones, and you know the same budget, same creative cast, same everything, uh, but they had put it out, hey, we're just going to dump you another season, and then you won't see us for three years, then we'll dump you a season, Game of Thrones would not be the pop culture event it is. Uh, you know, I mean, as cool as sure. Stranger Things is, Stranger Things will never punch through like Game of Thrones or Lost or Breaking Bad. You need these shows to breathe. You have to sit with them for a week. You have to talk to other people about them instead of just one and done and you just forget about it. I don't know that you're correct on that. I mean, sure, Game mm. of Thrones is huge. Don't I, I understand that. But yeah. at the same time, Stranger Things is pretty pop culture. Maybe not. Well, I mentioned Stranger age. Things as the zenith. I mean, uh, Netflix uh, until Tiger King, I suppose. <laughs> that's their Tiger two. King is just the right documentary at the right time. Yeah, that's very true. Very if Tiger true. King had come out four months ago, I don't think people would be talking about it as much. It just—it's like a perfect storm for that, right? 
Yeah, but that's um, the thing. I mean, Stranger Things is is a big cultural milestone too. And um, you know, in the in the weeks leading up to it, everybody's very excited what's going to happen, and then everybody watches it over the course of a weekend, and a week later, everybody has moved on and forgotten it. It is tough for me because I don't binge watch. When we first got married, my wife and I binge watch lots of stuff, oh, yeah. um, because we would be behind on shows. And you're like, oh, we can just watch all these shows now. Um, we don't binge watch because we don't really have the time to do it. I mean, we have the time now, but we don't mm-hmm. normally. Uh, so when a show like Stranger Things comes out, I'll go to my kids. All right, listen, we're watching one episode a night. <laughs> don't you dare cheat and go watch it earlier or you'll lose your phone. I'm very serious about this. <laughs> All right. Last question here. Individually, rank your favorite weather. Oh, oh. That's, That's a, a good, good question. question. Well, Wairata's thinking. I, I can do mine. Okay. Number one for me is easily warm to hot, sunny, with a few clouds in the sky weather. I'm not talking 90 degrees, but I don't mind 80 degree weather and high 70s. I like it. I like the sun beating on my back. I like it when it's just beautiful outside. There's a few clouds floating in the sky. Um, I love that. That's my number one. Number two is when it's a day like that. And then it rains, mm. whether it's a light drizzle and you see a rainbow and that's cool or a super heavy thunderstorm that hits and then clears up both that pre and post thunderstorm. I love that period of just here it comes and you sit on the porch and watch the rain just go. Vroom. Yeah, 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 I don't know what it is about that. I mean, that quick come in and out. Um, then three, even though it ruins the world briefly. A blizzard is a pretty neat thing to see. Yeah. I like oh. it. I like seeing the snow come down. Um, I, I find that fascinating. And after that, hail maybe, I guess. I don't know. It's kind of cool. But I hate I hate prolonged rain. Monsoon season in Korea was like, uh, and oh, sure, even sure, sure. Uh, One thing I like about Florida is when it rains here, it's done raining. And if it keeps yeah. raining for more than a couple hours, that's probably a hurricane. So hurricanes are very low on my list, too. Um but drizzly England's weather. Ugh! I'm sorry. I know I love England. But, man, your weather. <sighs> or where I'm at now, the Pacific Northwest. Same thing. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. And I don't like extreme cold at all. Hmm. Um, I don't think I'm too far removed from you. Although, I would easily put in my number one list, extreme thunderstorms. Uh, having lived in Texas for years and then living in Malta for a few years, I love nothing more than sitting inside and watching the heavens pour and getting, you know, the greatest laser light show you will ever see of gigantic um, bolts of lightning striking down. From the apartment we had in Malta, uh, you know, just looking literally north out into the Mediterranean Sea, we saw such insanely amazing lightning storms there on a fairly regular basis. Love that to bits. Um, you know, there's just something so nice and cozy and, you know, a feeling about being inside and seeing all of that outside. It, you know, it really helps you just appreciate life, I think, a little bit that, you know, I'm, I'm not out there. I'm in here, you know, and so that's a very powerful thing for me. Although, honestly, I love going for a walk in a really heavy rainstorm, too, and just feeling it beating down on me. There's just some weird thing about me that I really like that. Um, yeah, that perfect blue sky weather. Sure. I I, obviously, what's not to love? It's kind of what we're programmed to love, really. It's it's our ideal circumstance to be in. Um, I really do love snow. And maybe that's in part because I very rarely had significant snow in my life. 
Uh, I've only ever been living in a place. I mean, I, I know you grew up in the Northeast, so it's probably a lot more common for you. Sure. But um, yeah, we lived in Bend, Oregon. Every year there'd be like four or five foot tall snow piles to clear out the road in downtown. I really like heavy snows a lot, um, in part for the same reason. I love being inside when it's all out there, and I love the, the sound of the crunch. And the other thing I remember, um, it's funny, I wouldn't have thought of this until you mentioned extreme cold. There have been times in, in like really heavy snow, snowing seasons where when I was working on video games and I, w- I would work till like three in the morning and then I'd have to go out to the car and go home. And it was so insanely cold that it feels like the world is frozen. Uh, it, it, you know, it kind of feels like as you move through the air, you can almost imagine special effects. Like I'm literally cutting through something that's solid. Um, and I that's was cool for about buried. two minutes. That's yes. cool for about well, yeah, two minutes. Well, yeah, time it takes to get to your car, and then you turn on the car, and it's nice and warm and toasty again. I always, I, I remember very strongly that. But, I mean, yeah, there's no denying. Just a nice, sunny afternoon with some few clouds in the sky, uh, just to lie out and soak up the sun and get your vitamin D. Yeah, of course. I Yeah, I, I'll, I'll probably put that at two, but a strong thunderstorm is easily my number one uh, situation to be in or around. All right, folks. Well, we got to wrap it up here. Um are you doing a live stream after this? Because you've been doing one of those no, last I am few not. weeks. Uh, no, I, I, I think those are done for a while. Well, every night on the Dice Tower, we do a daily chat. Tonight, I'll be talking with Eric Lang from Come On. I'm sure oh. we'll mention on. You should somewhere pitch your game. Online. See if <laughs> yeah. Come On wants it. I, I, I don't pitch my game. That's my problem. Alrighty. <laughs> well, folks, we appreciate everyone. Thanks so much. Until next time, I'm Tom Vassell. I'm Rado. Have fun gaming. Bye.